Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammasambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammasambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammasambuddhasa Buddhang dhammang sankhang namasami Continuing with the chapter on the fourth exit point from the cycle related to the fourth noble truth, that of the way leading to the ending of suffering. And the next section is called Mindfulness of the Body and the Self-Adjusting Universe. The most reliable means of sustaining mindfulness in our daily lives is to use the feelings of the body. Mindfulness of the body is our guaranteed anchor for the present reality. No matter how much our mind has to think about, past or future, plans or problems, abstractions about the present, the body is always here. The body is like our most reliable friend. It's always here to come back to. No matter how far away the mind goes, the body is always here. That is 100% reliable. So, to sustain the quality of mindfulness and awareness in daily activity, traveling, being with people, working, living, interacting with family and so on, if we develop an ongoing mindfulness of the body, that is a guaranteed way to key the attention into the present moment experience. And so that uh, there's many, many teachings that the Buddha gives about uh, mindfulness of the body, uh, various different places in, in the, uh, the Pali Canon, uh, and it's the very beginning of the four foundations of mindfulness is the is kayanupasana, mindfulness of the body, and um, the many many different dimensions. That it's, it's actually the uh, I think the the largest section of the four foundations of mindfulness is on uh, is on mindfulness of the body and various different aspects of that. Uh, the movements of the body, sitting, standing, walking, lying down, how the body is composed of the four elements or different. Uh, you know, bones and blood and flesh and uh, so on and so forth, and different uh, uh, death contemplations, uh, uh, f- uh, funeral ground consum- contemplations, and uh, many, many various different ways of reflecting upon the body. And uh, so there's different dimensions to that. But uh, I think the um, in terms of our uh, of our uh, day-to-day practice, then simply that. Uh, uh, noticing and recollecting the, the sensations of the body, and uh, and using that uh, like a direct appreciation of in the in this moment the body feels like this. There's this this sensation, or or you're just naming the posture that, you, that you're in. I'm sitting, or I'm standing, I'm walking. This this is the feeling of sitting. It feels like this. This is the feeling of walking or standing. It feels like this. And that very simple direct way of keying the attention into the body is a uh, uh, guaranteed way of bringing the attention to the present, and that uh, so often um, in uh, you know, particularly life outside the monastery, but even life within the monastery, <laughs> the attention can be caught up in the past, the, the remembered past, the imagined future, getting lost in various abstractions. And as I said here, it's like the, the body is like the most faithful friend. No matter how far you wander off, the body's always here to come back to, and. Um, and so that that um, <clears throat> that sense of 
paying attention to the present is the, really the, the root of liberation and the, the, the way to the ending of suffering. Because if the mind is not paying attention to the present, then it can't be in tune with reality because reality happens in, in the present. And so if the mind is creating an image of the past and going off and inhabiting that or, uh, or creating some abstraction in the present uh, or a, a plan or imagination for the future, it's the, the attention is, is intrinsically caught up with the, the unreal or the, or the superficial or the, the created. Um, John Lennon misquoted Dr. Johnson by saying life is something that happens while we're making other plans so that uh, we easily are making plans and getting caught up so I forget the Samuel Johnson's exact words but uh, in one of John Lennon's songs he says uh, life is what happens while we're making other plans so we miss our life because we're so busy thinking about our life how it was or how it's going to be in the future so this present reality is where where life happens and this is the the place where a difference can be made so the more that the attention is paid to the present then the more that skillful and valuable differences can be uh, can be brought into being with respect to to our lives if we're not paying attention to the present then the then necessarily the mind is is out of tune with uh, with reality that makes sense Hopefully, <laughs> it should be that when you hear it, well, of course, yeah. there should be. A, uh, ideally, there isn't, of course, but uh, it's it's remarkable how easily the mind is drawn into worrying about the future, uh, recollecting the past. Rewrite. I, I did a huge amount in my early years of monastic life of rewriting the past and then worrying about it. Yeah, <laughs> finally, I would go back and, and rejig some situation and then worry about a, a completely invented set of circumstances that hadn't happened but then I could get drawn in and, and I, uh, uh, you know, an embarrassing number of times I think, well it didn't happen that way so, and it's, it's already and what, what did happen is already in the past so it's not a problem now like, oh yes, yes, rather like young Ajahn Lee and the Kuti with the rain on the roof it's like, <laughs> it didn't happen that way and it's not a problem so this let go. But it was amazing the amount of, of imagination that the mind could create and um, you know, rewriting the past and getting caught up with it. And also uh, scripting the future, uh, which um, I found that I was, uh, uh, along with, with rewriting the past, I was, I was writing the future. And, uh, and often I'd find myself preparing conversations, or when this happens, I'm going to say this, or, or when that happens, I'll do that. And, and uh, that was again a very strong uh, compulsive mental habit um, and uh, uh, I found that after about five or six years of, of writing scripts that nobody else ever followed <laughs> speaking of scripts of scripts people live I kept writing these scripts and like yeah he doesn't know his lines you know <laughs> when we were going to meet he was supposed to say that I've got, I've got my, my beast prepared but he's gone off in that direction or over there instead. So, um, so something in me just gave up after about five or six years. It just sort of, with a completely sort of zero reinforcement, like a, a zero percent success rate. It's like, this is pointless. But not having seen how that worked for the previous 20 years of my life, um, uh, that process had got a lot of momentum behind it. But actually looking at it, watching it, and seeing 
no matter how much you predict the future or you plan what you get, how things are going to be or what you're going to say, it doesn't turn out like that. So with zero success rate, something just gave up. So that was a lot more peaceful. Any questions, thoughts? Okay. The body is also a gauge for our emotional state. This is another benefit of mindfulness of the body. If you bring attention to the body and you realize that you're racing along at speed, uh, uh, this can help us to reflect, where am I running to? Where's the fire? Slow down. Or maybe we notice that our belly is tightened into a knot. That tells us that we're feeling worried or anxious. Okay, breathe out, lighten up. Each of us will find that emotions appear in different ways in our bodies, in different forms. The act of attention is the balancing agent. It's not as though there needs to be an inner commander-in-chief, a managing director that says, you're going too fast, slow down, or your belly is tight, you need to relax. Rather, there is a simple act of attention that brings the quality of awareness to the lack of balance. This imbalance is noticed, and the awareness has its own effect. It's a self-adjusting universe. Let's say, for example, you're sitting at your computer desk and you realize that you're tight and hunched over. Try saying to yourself, I'm all slumped over. I'm not going to do anything, but I'll just let the quality of awareness have its effect on my posture. See what happens. We discover, usually, (laughs) hopefully, uh, I don't have to do anything. The universe adjusts itself as the natural effect of attuned awareness. So uh, this is uh, something you can experiment with at home or in your in your your room, your kuti, or, or wherever. And so it's uh, 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 and maybe people have noticed this already. But when you uh, rather than if you find yourself sort of tense and uptight uh, as you're kind of typing away, uh, or you hunched over your your keyboard or over your your <laughs> pot of, of porridge that you're stirring, you're kind of you're tense and uptight. Rather than oh, I'm really tense. I should relax. Like the sort of command from the the superego or the, the, the manager that says, uh, you need to relax. Okay, relax, relax, relax. Like a, a thing that I have to do. If you bring attention to that, that, that tense state, and then without trying to do anything, just the appreciation, the, the, uh, the acknowledgement of that, that tense uh, quality, then there's a recognition of this is hard work, this is uncomfortable. And then without having to do anything, then the system relaxes on its own. Uh, so it's, that's what I mean by a self-adjusting universe. Isn't that, again, that's not a classical Buddhist term, it's just a, a way that I like to, to describe that. And it's, uh, it's an extremely helpful principle, and it goes back to what I was saying about effort. When effort is made based on right view, and you know, free of, of I and me and mine, then that effort can uh, will have a, a a peaceful balancing effect. It'll bring about a sense of integration, peacefulness. If effort is made based on I should be doing this, I want to get that. I don't want to be this way. I'd like to be like that. All that I making and mind making, even if it's sincere effort with a wholesome intention in mind, there's always that that there's more of me in it. <laughs> so there's that uh, it, it brings about a slight. 
uh, or, or very distinct quality uh, of imbalance or tension. And so this is something that I encourage people to experiment with. So like if, if you, in meditation, if you find that you've, you've drifted off and you're all sleepy, like, oh my goodness, my nose is pointed at the floor. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's not the Buddha Rupa, that's the carpet. <laughs> yeah. Rather, oh, I, you know, I should sit up straight, you know, sit up, you know, to, to just notice that slumped, that slumped quality. And then just, uh, and, and uh, so I, I'll just give a little demonstration now. So I'm not going to do anything. This is a, this is a, a kind of a show and tell. So I won't do anything. Just bring your attention to this slumped feeling. I didn't do anything. That's just the mind aware of the system out of balance and then it adjusts itself. I'm not showing off. I mean, it's just, it's just, you can do this too. We all work, we're all built the same way. Try this at home. Uh, because, uh, but it's not just our posture when we're sitting, it's also that applies to all sorts of dimensions of our, of our life and our, our work, our relationships and that whenever the mind says, I should, or you know, I want to, or I, I, I ought to, or I don't want to, I shouldn't, then that's a clear uh, sign, that's a flag for the I-making and my-making coming into the picture. And uh, uh, instead, to, to just bring it that uh, quality of awareness to that sense of things being out of balance or out of whack, and then just letting the, the system adjust itself. It, uh, it, uh, it, and it's the uh, another way of thinking of it is like as if the Buddha walks into the room, so everything, <laughs> everybody either becomes peaceful or more alert, or both. Uh, that that's that, uh, inviting awareness into the picture. That's the the, the brightening and balancing uh, and calming agent. That's that's the uh, the element that brings things into balance and. So when we talk about taking refuge in the Buddha, it's also that inviting that quality to be present and then letting that have its effect. Any thoughts, questions? I do encourage people to to experiment with that. Extremely useful principle to get a feeling for. And then the, the more you, the mind sees how it works, and the more you trust it, the more that it becomes just a, a basic mode of, of relating to, to life and the world. So, the next section is called Compassionate Action and the Attitudes of a Well-Rounded Person. We do what is possible to bring our practice to our working life, our family, our relationships, as we engage with other people, we might notice that, if we pay attention to ourselves, we automatically adjust to the group, and the group adjusts to us. Human life is a relational experience. Even when we're not talking, we respect each other's presence. We care about each other. We make space for each other. We're existing in a relational state. And it's not just talking about being uh, in monasteries. <laughs> It's saying that driving on the road, you know, that people, this is 
and people are obeying the traffic laws, but just they're also naturally making space for each other and respecting each other on the you know, getting onto a tube train or going to a, a family a family supper. You know, <laughs> we, we uh, unless you're a complete sociopath, you know, and you're t- you're totally uh, totally absorbed in your own version of reality and utterly insensitive to everyone everything around you, which is extremely rare. Um, most, uh, I was like, you know, 99.99% of, uh, of people, we are uh, uh, aware of each other's presence and we're, we are adapting to each other and, uh, and respecting the fact that we, uh, we are in a relational state with each other. We, we affect each other. We carry into our lives that spirit of natural care and attention and harmonization with others. This is what I would call living in, uh, according to the middle way. It means the development of the Eightfold Path in order to cultivate life as a well-rounded person, a sapurisa. We too can be that very kind of good person, quote-unquote, that it's useful to associate with, which is a compassionate offering to others as well as being beneficial for ourselves. So it's a point that I, I like to em- emphasize when, we say, when it says sapurisa sangseva, associating with good people. You can be one of the sapurisa that other people are benefited by associating with, <laughs> if you can follow that. So rather than just um, uh, thinking, oh, uh, it's helpful for me to be around good people, it's also if you, uh, if you manifest these qualities of a, of a sapurisa, a, good, a well-rounded, good-hearted person, then you are thereby a blessing in the lives of others. Uh, of course, if the ego grabs hold of that and says, you know, you're so lucky to have me around. <laughs> I'm a sapurisa. You know, you're, you're, uh, uh, I'm, uh, I'm one of the, uh, the, the wise that you're fortunate to associate with, and I'm one of those fools. And, and so, drifting towards psychopathy and uh, narcissistic inflation. So that's not helpful. But I, again, uh, I think that's probably very, very rare. People tend to incline more towards self-criticism and self, um, uh, say, uh, self-denigration. But um, that uh, I do feel it's also it's not just what we get from others that is important, but also what we're offering to others. And uh, there's there's many different dimensions to that. <coughs> According to the Buddha's teaching. Uh, in the uh, Numerical Discourses, Book of the Sevens, Sutta number 68. Again, you can you know, look that up if you're interested. A well-rounded person, one who can be counted on as a truly valuable member of society and who is able to encourage the community and society towards greater peace and well-being, possesses seven specific qualities. Hence, it's in the Book of the Sevens. So I thought I, I, uh, uh, in this, this chapter I, I highlight these and... Um, I was introduced to these in a very helpful little book by um, Venerable Paiuto, P.A. Paiuto, called uh, A Constitution for Living. And he's one of the uh, most uh, admired and uh, accomplished uh, Dhamma teachers in Thailand and very, very highly regarded. This was the great uh, Buddhist scholar and also exemplar. Um, he has his, his tome is called Buddha Dhamma. It's like a, a uh, a kind of an encyclopedia of Buddhist knowledge, and it's extremely well researched and well explained. And uh, even though he's he's very famous, he's very highly regarded, very respected. He's one of the the seven most senior monks in Thailand. Uh, uh, I think he, he's a Somdet, which is there's only seven 
some maybe maybe nine. Anyway, he's one of the the, uh, the ten most uh, senior monks in Thailand. Um, and uh, but for years and years, he just used a, a copy of the book Buddha Dhamma was his pillow. So that was uh, he uh, he lived in a, in a he uh, and and lives in a very very modest way. He doesn't uh, have a luxurious uh, life at all, uh, and he's very much walks the talk. So in that book, Constitution for Living, and this is one of the, the chapters, he outlines the um, the seven qualities of a sapurisa, and uh, I, I was always impressed by that um, that set of, of qualities and his explanation, his commentary on that. So again, if you want to, to look up that book, um, I'm pretty sure we've got quite a few copies in the library, A Constitution for Living, and it's got... Um, a, uh, so very helpful descriptions of um, the, uh, the 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 qualities of a good householder, the qualities of a good leader, the qualities of um, someone who's a helpful member of society, the qualities of someone who's committed to dharma practice, and so on. And he takes these essential teachings from the suttas and then expounds on them. So it's a it's a very valuable little resource. It's it's not a tome, it's it's only it's only about eighty uh, maybe sixty or eighty pages, maybe maybe a hundred pages, but it's uh, it's not a massive volume, but a very handy little compendium of, of essential teachings. So of these seven qualities, the first one is Dhammanyuta. So that each of them ends in the 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 word the the um, syllables anyuta. So anya, anya is knowledge, and the ta at the end uh, means um, the quality of or ness. So dhammanyuta is the knowledge of of dhamma ness. Uh, that's a pretty clumsy term. <laughs> so dhammanyuta, uh, and in this respect, it doesn't just mean sort of general dhamma teachings. But it's referring to the causes or the origins of things, where things come from, what they're what they're based upon. That's what uh, this uh, quality of dhammanyuta, so knowing the origins of things or contemplating the origins of thingsness. So dhammanyuta, this means knowing principles, knowing the origins and causes of things and where they come from. If we know the underlying principles governing things with which we must deal, then will be much more in tune with situations as we carry out our daily tasks. At the highest level, Dhammanyuta means fully knowing, appreciating and harmonizing with the laws of nature, so that one can deal with life and the world with a mind that is free, not resentful of or confined by those laws of nature. And so laws of nature being all things that are born and going to die one day, or the laws of gravity, the... the, the um, the fact that you need to breathe, that you get hungry, you need to you know, live in relationship with other human beings, other living uh, the living world, um, and so it's a, a, a what I would refer to as a a, a, a nature centered uh, perspective or dhamma centered perspective rather than a, a self centered perspective. So dhammanyuta is that reflecting or contemplating the causes or the origins of things, where things come from. And then its partner is the next one, which is Atanyuta, A-double-T-H, Anyuta, Atanyuta. This means knowing objectives, knowing what direction things are heading, having an appreciation of likely results. If we know the reasons behind the task we're doing and the objectives it has, we're likely to be able to steer things in a direction that, we, that will be beneficial for all. 
To develop atanita means to know what may be expected in the future from the actions that we're doing in the present. At the highest level, atanita means understanding the implications of the way nature works, coupled with an intrinsic intention to guide our actions and speech to be of the highest benefit, supporting the well-being of all to the best of our ability. So it's to do with setting a direction, uh, and uh, again, through watching how nature works, how the laws of cause and effect operate. So, that, okay, uh, this is the effect that looks it looks like it'll be most helpful. You know, let's make choices and, and head in that direction. So it's an appreciation of, of wholesome results. So it's kind of reasonable hope, as it were, um, and a, or, or a setting a, a direction for what looks like will be a beneficial result. Um, and so that, uh, of course, everything's uncertain, so we never know exactly how things are going to turn out. But so there is a, a, that sense of a, a setting a direction, heading in the, a, a things in a, 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 a towards obje uh, objectives that are, are apparently beneficial. But with that, there's also the, the reflective element of Okay, well, let's 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 see whether that does actually arrive at something beneficial. Or yes, uh, the result that I wanted came, but there was all these complications that came with it. Aha! <laughs> so along with uh, achieving objectives, then there, there's that, that also that reflective element. But all of these seven, uh, in a way, they're they're a kind of detailed detailed expansion of the quality of mindfulness and full awareness, sati sampajanya, and so uh, along with that. Um, steering things in a helpful, or what seems to be a, a helpful way, there's that, okay, well, did we get the result that we were expecting? Yes, okay, now what's come with it? And, aha, <laughs> there are all these these riders that were, were there in, uh, that I wasn't aware of, I didn't think of that. So, aha, well, I got what I wanted, but I got this and this and this as well. Right, okay. And then we learn from um, the, the way that things turn out, so then that becomes uh, you know, a source for greater understanding so that you you recognize the, um, the the whole field of cause and effect and then you're learning uh, as as well as one can from all of that the other thing to say about about atanita this one um, say the setting a direction it's also there's partly um, in terms of of sila or in terms of, of conduct uh, it's 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 slightly related to otapa like in hiri otapa that which Otapa is sometimes translated as a, a wise fear of consequences. So that if you think, well, this is a good direction, but uh, is it totally legal? Or is this going to be harmful? Or is I'm taking a risk here. Um, this might be, uh, yeah, I, I, might, uh, I might break something, or I might fall off the edge, or, or um, this might not be something that everyone likes. So um, that uh, Otapa is a wise fear of consequences. So again, it's uh, maybe... Fear is not a perfect word, maybe a sense of caution uh, or an appreciation of, of risk. It's a sort of the Pali word for risk assessment. Okay. <laughs> the, the, uh, hmm, what's, what's, gonna, what's likely to, to come out of this? How's this going to work? What, what's the, the level of risk? And, um, and so then uh, also highlighting whether something is got, uh, um, say, uh, uh, a possibility of, of not being in accordance with sila, or just being uh, something that is sort of dangerous or likely to, to uh, possibly cause harm. You know, if I 
how far out along this branch can I go before the branch starts cracking? <laughs> that kind of uh, uh, that kind of thing. So that that um, uh, along with with hope and a, and a sense of a good direction is also a sense of caution. Like, well, let's be careful here because um, uh, we're not sure how this might end up, and that uh, could cause myself harm or others harm. And you know, I might be okay with falling out of this tree, but then there'd be others who have to pick me up and <laughs> get me to A and E and get patched up. So um, let's uh, let's bear that in mind. So any questions on those first two? You won't be tested at the end. So Dhamma is the first one and Atanyuta, A-double-T-H is the second one. The third one is Atanyuta with no H, A-double-T, so Atta as in self. Uh, uh, so the, the, the word Atta is not completely forbidden in... <laughs> Not a, a forbidden concept, but it's it's a an informal and uh, it's it's used in a relative sense, like talking about this this being. So atanyuta, the uh, knowing yourselfness is at uh, at anyuta, knowing yourselfness. This world this word is spelled similarly to the previous quality, but it has a very different meaning. This is essentially the necessity of knowing yourself. We need to appreciate the characteristics of our own conditioning, our personality, our age, language, nationality, education, and so forth. Are we an artistic type or a or scientific? Are we an extrovert or an introvert, female or male? What's our family background, rich or poor? What are we good at? What are we not good at? Primarily, we need to learn that we can't do everything. And when I was looking through this today, I realized that assumes that people want to be able to do everything. <laughs> I mean, that's a bit of a character trait that I would just assume that everybody would want to be able to do everything. But well, actually, it's probably not the case for everyone. <laughs> so I noticed that uh, the Amara Atta, my um, particular character trait, of I want to be able to do everything, um, uh, that, that's, that came into the picture there. So we, we can't do everything, assuming that we want to and that it will help tremendously to be acquainted with the various strengths and weaknesses and cultural biases that pertain for the attitudes of this being. If we can fully acknowledge the array of conditioning variables of our makeup, we can then act accordingly. We do what is needed to be done to act skillfully, meanwhile making effort to learn skills or abandon bad, bad habits so as to evolve to greater maturity. So this is, um, uh, again, it might seem like it's going counter to the principle of anatta, not self, but uh, on a level of conditioning and the, the conventional truth, then we, we have names, we have uh, ages, birthdays, life stories, uh, you know, the different <coughs> families we've come from, different passport numbers, and so on and so forth. So there is, on the level of convention, and, and then there are these different beings with their different sets of conditioning. So it's about getting to know the, the different factors, the different things that play into that. And uh, uh, it's, you know, one of the things I've often mentioned is that uh, even though I'm, I'm, my family is not entirely uh, English, my, my mother's father was German and, uh, well, half German, half Belgian, and my grandmother, uh, uh, um, 
my mother's mother was Belgium, so uh, I'm not completely English, but <laughs> but by conditioning, having grown up in this country and gone to English schools and uh, and such like them, um, uh, then I I had assumed that my reality, my kind of Englishness, was ordinary, was normal, and that. Uh, when I went to, to live at Wat Nanachat and was living amongst a, a large variety of nationalities, you know, I suddenly began to realize that being English is not normal. It's not the baseline, it's just one variety. And that, and, and that, that sense of, oh, you know, what I've thought of as, as being normal and, and real, it's just one possible set of conditioning amongst all these you know, Australians or Americans or French people or Thai people. Lao people and uh, and so that uh, that was quite an eye opener how I, th- uh, you know, I thought I was normal <laughs> or that and that it was really the first time I, I appreciated the sense of of uh, very very consciously oh, oh and this is the way I, I see things and and my um, my mindset you know, it's just one particular pattern that's that's formed it's not it's not a baseline <laughs> it's just one. Uh, one kind of tree in the forest, one one uh, shape of things. Uh, another example, also that uh, was really striking to me, um, and actually, well, bef- before that, when I was a college student, um, I was sharing a um, uh, sharing a, a, f- a flat with a, um, another. I, I studied psychology and physiology at, the, at London University, and uh, I was sharing a flat with myself and another of the the people in my year in psychology. And um, so uh, we were sharing this place together and I made some comment quoting Winnie the Pooh or, or, uh, and, and uh, Christopher Robin, something like that, the A.A. Uh, Milne stories, which I grew up with and uh, the books of poems like When We Were Very Young or Now We Are Six uh, and these stories of Christopher Robin and Winnie the Pooh and, uh, and I thought that was normal. And so anyhow... I, I made some comment in a conversation with this, this uh, friend of mine, Patrick, Patrick Field is his name, and, uh, and he immediately kind of snapped at me and said, you bloody middle-class rubbish. Uh, I, I'd never come across anybody who disliked Winnie the Pooh <laughs> or Christopher Robin. You know, that was sort of, you know, in the world that I grew up in, which I thought was normal, then of course Winnie the Pooh and Christopher Robin are symbols of... of pure goodness in the universe. Patrick joined the Communist Party when he was 16. <laughs> and he actually is from hell. He's a, uh, his, his, his dad, uh, I think, was also a Communist Party member. So as soon as he was old enough, he joined the Communist Party. And uh, he's a very interesting fellow. He, he, um, he was a playwright and an actor as well. He's part of the National Youth Theatre uh, when he was younger. And uh, he was also a very keen cyclist. So he... Uh, uh, the last time I saw him, he had this campaign of um, promoting the bicycle as a political weapon, getting people, <laughs> getting people to ride bicycles and stop driving cars around. And uh, he came and visited me here once at uh, Amravati on his bicycle. <laughs> I think he was riding up to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival up in Scotland. <laughs> so, a very interesting character. But that was, that was quite... Because we were good friends, and it just had never occurred to me that anyone could find any fault with Winnie the Pooh and Christopher <laughs> Robin, and and so it's utterly normal. Like say one of the, one of the um, one of the poems um, or s- the songs in I think now we are six is um, uh, 
they're, they're changing the guard at Buckingham Palace. Christopher Robin went down with Alice. Alice is marrying one of the guard. A soldier's life is terrible hard, says Alice. And the, the fact that you have a nanny, like Patrick pointed out, not everyone grows up with a nanny. But, well, well, I didn't. Well, actually, I did a little bit. <laughs> For a while. And, uh, <clears throat> and so it's like, oh, and then he sort of gave me a quick snapshot of the other aspects of life. The majority of people who live in this country do not have nannies on the... The, uh, the life of, of the working class is, is very, very different. And it, I, I was probably having my jaw hanging open, like, wow, I never thought of that, never occurred to me. That, but that was up to that point, that, that was an assumption, that this is a, a pure and good thing, and of course everyone sees it in the same way. And that, that uh, Christopher Robin is not, it's not a, a sign of goodness, it's a sign of the, the oppressive class of the haves. So... So also with respect to our getting to know our personality and our and conditioning, it can easily be that we uh, uh, there's aspects of our own character or uh, how we are that we might resent that we're too talkative or we're too shy or we if only I had a, a different personality if only, if only I wasn't like this <laughs> if only I could just be someone else then it would be great and often we can focus on. Uh, things and then build a lot of self-view around our shortcomings. If only I was different, then everything would be fine. <laughs> and I, I've certainly felt that uh, uh, myself. But um, uh, what this is about, or this this uh, atanita, is in a way making friends with how your uh, how what your conditioning is. Not trying to make yourself into some sort of a, a, an ideal, but using the characteristics you have, your language, your education, your, whether you're shy or whether you're outspoken or whether you're an artistic type or a scientific type or whether you're a completely incompetent type. <laughs> but, uh, that's what you function through rather than thinking I've got to be something different in order to, to succeed or be good or get things right but rather you use the way you are, your character as the medium through which you operate. Um, and so uh, that, and that's what one of the, the things that um, I think both uh, Lumpur Child and Posumedo are very, very skilled at within, in terms of their guidance of communities was that, that uh, for both of those, those Aijans, they, they never set things up with, uh, with that a sense of, you know, you've got to be like me in order to be practicing well, or like, you know, my, my character or my way of doing things is the model. But for both uh, uh, Lumpocha and Lumpocemeko, they're incredibly accommodating and ready to let people be who they are. <laughs> and so that uh, not trying to force people into a particular mold or a sort of pre, uh, uh, say a pre-formed um, ideal, but to, to use the, the, the characteristics that you have, your background, your, your conditioning, your personality, that, that's the medium through which you operate. And, uh, and so you learn to be more comfortable with, with your, um, your character, your quirks, your, your blessings and your, your curses. And um, so that uh, you're learning to work with the way things are, rather than the, um, uh, the kind of extremes of, of um, attaching to, uh, to uh, you know, attaching to uh, identifying with the way things are, or suppressing it, hating it, fearing it, and resenting the way things are, 
you're learning to work with that. That becomes the the, the vehicle for for how you uh, how you function. And uh, and so then it's just in a way making uh, living far more from a nature-centered perspective than a a self-centered perspective or an idealistic perspective. That makes sense. Any questions, thoughts? Yes. I was going to say, um, um, this, I used to work in a school and it made me think a lot of, you know, when I was at school as well, that that's not really encouraged. Well, I didn't feel that, you know, I felt like I had to kind of strive towards being, you know, a certain way or learning a certain way. To be the teacher. Um, or to mm. actually as a child as well. Uh-huh. That's what I remember. Uh-huh. You know, mm-hmm. trying to fit a certain way. Or, and also when I worked in school as well, I didn't feel like there was much um, leeway for, you know, um, being, having dif- differences and uh-huh. different ways of. This is, you know, maybe not all schools are like that. But <laughs> <laughs> I thought a few that I've worked at have been, you know, not so encouraging in that area. So, so I feel like coming here, you know, has been the first time for me to feel like, oh, that's okay for you, you know, to be kind of. And that feels, uh, yeah, it's a, it's like a new, a new feeling for me. Um, to. I'm sorry. I, I can imagine that, you know, maybe a lot of my friends maybe as well would feel, would notice that, that, that complete um, feeling of uh, being allowed to grow in, in the way that, you know, with the capabilities that you've got. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I've just uh, been very aware of coming here. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it takes me aback a little bit sometimes. <laughs> Oh really? Are we, you know, can you really do that? Because it's really kind of accepted. Yes. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Any character, Alex? You were going to say something? Or? No, I just, just emotion. Just like, <laughs> nothing. Yeah, it's it's quite a a, a relief. Uh, you know, and I think for for many of us, you grow up feeling you've got to be this thing that they expect, the mysterious they, who sit in judgment over your life. What will they think? I mean, that uh, it's hard to actually pin down who they are, but <laughs> a lot of our lives are run trying to fit with uh, in with what what they expect, what what they think, and what they want. The, so it's not a matter of not caring or being casual, but just being, in a way, so comfortable in your own skin. One of the re- really interesting suttas uh, is, again, I haven't got it here this evening, it's called the Mahagosinga Sutta. The, the, and, it's, uh, and it gives you a kind of snapshot of the characters of the different uh, great, enlightened, uh, uh, great enlightened monks. And uh, it's, it starts off in this beautiful moonlit night in the forest, the Gosinga Sala wood. And uh, <clears throat> I think it's um, 
Venerable uh, Ananda, I think it starts off with him, and he's saying, wow, this, what a beautiful night. The, the moon is, is uh, lighting up the forest, all the sala trees are in flower, there's beautiful fragrances from the blossom, blossoming trees wafting through the forest. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> You know, what what kind of a what kind of a monk would it would light up the forest on a, a beautiful night like this? Sort of this thought pops into his mind. So he goes around to see his good friend Venerable Sariputta, and <clears throat> uh, I think it, that's uh, that's uh, the way around it works. Anyhow, so he goes to see Venerable Sariputta, and so then uh, he he asks that question. You know, the 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 the, sal- the, the tree forest is is lit up by the moonlight and its beautiful fragrances, it's like heavenly scents uh, in the air. Uh, what kind of a, a monk would illuminate the forest on a night like this? And then Sariputta says, oh, one who is able to enter any state of meditation at will, <laughs> and, and who has uh, completely mastered the, the, um, the, the mind in terms of, of meditational skill, um, and one who can you know, explain the Dhamma in all its facets. That's the kind of a monk that would light up a forest, the forest on a night like this. And then they go to see Mahamogalana, you know, and they say, what, uh, what, what kind of a monk do you think would, would illuminate the forest, the forest on a night like this? Well, one who's accomplished in psychic powers, who can visit all, kind of different, all different realms of being, and who is able to, to see into the, all the different dimensions of the great uh, 3,000-fold universal system. And then they, in each one they go, they go to see Mahakasapa and they say, what do you think? Well, the one who's, who's, who's most diligent in all the ascetic practices. And each one is the, kind of their own special feature. Like they, <laughs> so, uh, these are all arahants, so they're not kind of boasting or being proud. But they're, they're, the mind immediately goes to the thing that kind of their, their shtick. You know. and, then they, uh, and then when they ask Ananda, they say, oh, one who's completely memorized all the teachings and can recount all the, you know, all the words of the Master, you know, and, uh, and and so they go one after another to the the um, different uh, great uh, enlightened elders, and then they go and see, they say, "Well, let's go and ask the master." You know, that's the, they finally think, "Well, let's go and ask the Buddha." And it's one of the few places where you get the Buddha speaking about his own character, um, almost unique in the whole Pali Canon. And they're kind of you know, it's like sort of the, the lads are having fun for the evening, as it were. So that you know the, these enlightened lads go round to um, to the Buddha and say, "You've been all sir, you know, uh, the, the solitary forest is uh, is uh, filled with moonlight, and it's, the uh, fragrances from the from the blossoms are in the air like a like uh, it's a, a heavenly realm. What kind of a monk do you think would illuminate the forest on a night like this?" And he says, "The kind of monk that would sit down." Uh, and uh, make the resolution, I will not move from this spot. You know, my blood can dry up, my bones can turn to dust, but I will not move from this spot until full and complete enlightenment is realized. So that, uh, he pointed to resolution, Aditana, being his own shtick, his own kind of most sort of prominent or, or um, most sort of central concern or central character trait. And so, uh, but it is, it's quite, it's very illuminating no pun intended, <laughs> but uh, and uh, that each one sort of describes their own character, and they're quite kind of uh, 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 they're quite easy about it. So uh, and they're all they're all arahants, except except for Ananda. They're all they're all totally enlightened. So they're not boasting. They're not being proud. They're not saying you know I'm you know, my one's better than yours. But they just naturally talk about what they focused on and their own particular interests. So, 
So Venerable Revata talks about resolution, uh, talks about, um, uh, I think, energy and um, application of, of, of effort. Mahakasapa talks about asceticism. Mahamogalana talks about psychic powers. And, and so, uh, uh, and they're not critical of each other and they're not boasting. They're saying, well, <laughs> but this is my, uh, this is what, what I put attention and energy into. And this is sort of what, what's my, uh, um, how things take shape for me. So it's a, uh, uh, it's representing that kind of knowing yourself, atanyuta, and then being completely comfortable in that. So to continue, Do you have a question or is that just the approval? Okay. So to continue. Hmm? Not yet. No. Ten two. So the next one is Matanyuta, M-A-T-T-A, Matanyuta. This means knowing the right amount to cultivate a sense of moderation. If we know, quote, the right amount, unquote, in such areas as spending money, eating food, holidaying, and the consumption of global resources, we can live in a very well-balanced way. We can look after the needs of our own life, and those we are responsible for without overtaxing resources or harming ourselves or others through the choices we make. To know moderation in speech, work and action, in rest and in the pastimes we adopt, it helps if we do all things with an eye on what is the point of it, what genuine benefits might result. The spirit of moderation guides us to act not merely for our own gratification or to accomplish our own ends, but rather to take into account the needs and preferences of all. But again, it's coming from an attunement to the way nature works and to what you need in terms of rest or food or personal space. Um, uh, what you, also, it's to do with uh, your capacity, not coming from an idealistic place, like, you know, I can, I can pick this up, I can do this, you know, uh, from a, a place of, uh, of over-enthusiasm or idealism. But knowing the right amount is, I can pick up a, a 50 pound rock but I can't pick up a 100 pound rock it's like that's this is also you know knowing, knowing the right amount knowing uh, your own capacity your own your own limits and uh, what you can do what you can't do so this is very helpful if you happen to be idealistic and uh, to sort of to work with uh, recognizing your own capacity your own your own limits also if you tend to overeat uh, or if you tend to undereat, uh, knowing the right amount is if you if you tend to be um, starving yourself or not eating enough, then Matanyuta is, is like listening to the needs of the body and recognizing, well, uh, I, I'm I'm following my my food limitation program, but I'm dizzy and I'm weak and I'm you know, keeling over at five in the afternoon. You know, maybe I need to eat some more, and to, uh, uh, this is I'm not doing myself any good. Uh, uh, or if you're overeating, uh, and then you, you find yourself you're stuffed and with indigestion, and and you're not waking up from your nap until five o'clock in the afternoon, and you realize, hmm, I think I've been overdoing it there a bit. And, uh, so that that knowing the right amount is uh, with food, with sleep, and so on, is uh, again it's based on this quality of mindfulness and and full awareness. And one in, interesting piece of advice that the Buddha gives in, in relationship to food and, and the right amount of food, uh, quote-unquote right amount, 
is uh, I'm not sure exactly where you find it in the scriptures, but it was uh, a piece of advice that Ajahn Chah often repeated, which was um, to to eat the 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 right amount of food. You know, pay attention to how you you feel as you're eating, and when five more mouthfuls would be enough, then stop and and then finish off with with water. Just uh, fill yourself up with the last little bit with a with a glass of, of uh, a cup of water, and uh, and then that'll be quote unquote the right amount. So it, it's and it is interesting if you uh, if you genuinely pay attention. You're not caught up with the act of eating, but you're paying attention to how the body feels. Uh, and it, uh, uh, if you're uh, say attuning to that, then as you're eating, then there, there does come. A, I, I would say there does come a moment. Where there is a clear sense of oh okay that's enough, and there's something changes and it's and if if you're really paying attention, the the food that was in your bowl or on your plate goes from being sort of attractive and interesting and then that point is reached and it's like okay and then in a way it stops being food it kind of, I mean it doesn't magically transform into something else but it's it's a suddenly that the the there's that recognition okay that's enough and then the uh, uh, the the mind you know, le- easily leaves the rest alone. It sort of stops being something that you're you're looking at or, or um, you're I- intending to eat. With the 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 intuitive um, sense or the the mind's relationship to what's there on the plate or in the bowl it shifts. And okay, that's enough. And then it's it is. A, I, I fully acknowledge it's a challenge to put the spoon down at that point. <laughs> but and uh, not to say well, just in case, you know. I, I might be deluded in that feeling, and, uh, <laughs> and this is very, very special. And after all, we put so much effort into it in the kitchen, and, and uh, you know, they, I wouldn't want to. I really want them to be able to make merit because of it, this wonderful food. And so, I wouldn't want to rob people of their merit. So, I've heard all these trains of thought going through my mind in the past. But uh, if we do genuinely bring mindfulness and, and full awareness to to that, then there is a, a quite a distinct point, and then just finish off with water, and you're you're good to go. The next one is kala nuta. Kala is time, so knowing the right time. This means knowing the time and place and situation, knowing what the occasion is. If we consider carefully where we are and what's going on, and the proper time to speak up or be quiet with respect to our actions, duties, and engagements with other people, then we will regularly be a force for harmony and benefit. Karl Anuta encourages a sensitivity to when to arrive and depart, when to begin or end a conversation. It also means developing punctuality. It's a particular focus of mine, I've noticed. Speaking of character traits, punctuality, regularity, being in good time to meet responsibilities, staying with family or friends, for the right amount of time and at the right time. As Benjamin Franklin, a famous uh, uh, late American politician from the 18th century, as Benjamin Franklin once, noticed, once noted, fish and visitors stink after three days. <laughs> it probably sounds a bit rude, but I think it's also having observed human nature. Fish and visitors stink after three days. Kalanuta includes knowing how to plan our time 
and organize it effectively. So that uh, again, that quality of attunement and when so at the the right time to show up for things or the right time to bring things to an end in a conversation or in a, in a meeting or when things are done. Um, so that that quality of of attunement and uh, say paying uh, attention to the the flow of of events and um, check if you are arranging to stay with with family or friends, just checking in advance how long they really want you to stay. <laughs> Uh, three days is a good amount of time a day to arrive then two or three days to be there and then a day to depart any questions on that? Ajahn? yes I would like to ask you please um, can you explain the difference between the mind and the consciousness because once you've been saying like confident in your own skin Sometimes it seems to me that all this manifestation, which I perceive as a construction, um, arise just from these um, skandhas, like um, whatever the chemistry is there, whatever combination of the elements. Actually, yesterday it was great as you uh, mentioned that when I point the question, you said that sometimes just arise because of the chemistry and we don't have to identify. Mm-hmm. Mm. So how can we want confidence? Because what I work actually, I always work with some picture of myself, which is so rarely, I mean, it's so rare that it's just this outfit, the outer lion, it's just uh, this. Uh, actually, I don't work with the much with the inner, but the picture which arises uh, in this mental state is uh, just the outer layer, just the image mm-hmm. of myself. What the delusion is it? <laughs> Well, uh, if I'm if I'm understanding what you're 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 asking about, and so but to use a phrase like being comfortable in your own skin, it's it's recognizing well this is all a mask, it is a, an outer layer, um, but this is the way that the nature is formed, so that the, uh, the all dhammas are not self. But they, the dhammas function in relationship to each other according to nature and the laws of cause and effect. And so that um, the, the, the particular personality or your language or your conditioning, it's not absolutely who and what you are, but that particular set of conditions is uh, that the... Uh, the, the the means or, or the, the the format for this life to be happening so that that's the uh, the outer layer if you like the mask or the the form um, and so that it the, that well using a, a, a phrase like being comfortable in your own skin it's like that you your uh, the heart is quite happy to be functioning through that particular set of conditions being this particular age or this particular personality or being in this particular role, and so that it doesn't uh, create a lot of suffering about or, or t- uh, stress about 
I want to be seen this way, I don't want to be seen that way. I want this set of conditions, I don't want that set of conditions. I want to feel this, I don't want to feel that. But rather, oh, here it is. This is In this moment it's like this. Oh, I've, I've fallen ill, okay, I'll work through illness. Okay, I've recovered, I'll work through that. Um, and then the, he, there's a sense of ease to uh, working with uh, through the medium of this particular life as it takes shape. Uh, so it, it's known that it's a it's just a uh, a form or a only a performance through the form <laughs> per means through form performance it's through that form so the that uh, yeah, the 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 mind is operating through that form i mean i i just realized that's saying it now actually <laughs> but it's through that that form so it's it's like uh a, uh, an actor performing a particular role. You might be, uh, you, know, you, you show up, in, if you're in a theatre company, you know, one, one week you're Desdemona, you know, next week you're, you're Cleopatra, you know, or you're King Lear, you know, or, <laughs> yeah, or the, the Duke of Orleans. You know, it, uh, well, here's your script, okay, go. You know. And so uh, uh, that, that sense of being um, uh, ready to function through the conditions uh, of this life as it takes shape, it, it's a, um, uh, in a way, it's, a, it's coming from an, an attunement to nature and a respect for, for nature, how this body is, its limitations, its character. You're not, there isn't the sense of, I wish it was different, or, or that uh, I want to be seen like this, I don't want to be seen like that, but rather, oh, it, it, it's like this, it, it, it's this way, and so there's, a, there's an ease of functioning through that particular medium, rather like whether the weather is sunny and bright or the weather is cold and, and wet, you know, you're ready to work with the weather, whatever the weather is like. So that um, sense of being uh, uh, at home with your own body, your own personality, your own life story, that uh, sense of being comfortable with, with working with this condition as it is. and. Uh, to, to be ready to then learn lessons from the different aspects of it uh, as those different uh, events take shape and different, uh, different qualities appear at different times. So that the old, old Dhammas are not self, it's not absolutely who and what we are, so that I can say, you know, on an absolute level I'm not a human being, I'm not a monk, I'm not a man. These maleness, monkness, Humanness, Englishness, Belgianness—they—they <laughs> are particular patterns of uh, of conditioning and experience that that have a, a, a relative truth, and they they function in relationship to each other according to the laws of nature, laws of cause and effect. Um, and so that we have our our names. I don't suddenly come up with a new name. Well, <laughs> I've got a few new names. Actually. <laughs> so, <clears throat> but uh, generally, I'm known as Ajahn Amaro. Uh, you know, if I uh, if uh, uh, if I suddenly told everyone, okay, my you know, you should now call me Stuart, or you should call me Lucy, yeah, then it's like, well, oh, what 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 name has has, has it got today? <laughs> I mean, it's confusing for everyone. So that then we we use a name, we, we stick with that uh, as a conventional form. But there isn't actually any absolute amaro there. It's just a a convention for for that is used for convenience. So if the mind uh, holds things in that way, then 
it's not taking it's not attaching to existence or saying that this thing these conventions are absolutely real but it's not dismissing them or saying that there's uh, that there there's there's no laws of cause and effect that uh, but or there's no um, way that our actions or our words uh, have a- any value or meaning they do they 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 and that's why there's the wholesome and the unwholesome the 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 skillful and the unskillful so what you have in in the in the Buddha's teaching, and he spells this out in a number of places. He says, "Yeah, the middle way. Say everything exists as one extreme, nothing exists as the other extreme." The Tathagata teaches the Dhamma by the middle way, <laughs> and then he explains dependent origination. He says, "With ignorance as condition, formations come to be. With formations as condition, uh, consciousness comes to be, and so on." So that 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 middle way is recognizing that. Uh, Sabay, sankara, you know, all sankaras are impermanent, all dhammas are not self, but those, those, those sankaras, those, those aspects of nature, they, they function in relationship to each other by very distinct laws. The laws of cause and effect function. Uh, and so that, that's how there's goodness and, uh, and badness, there's wholesome and unwholesome, there's skillful and unskillful. And uh, <coughs> so that being at home in our own skin, or being comfortable with, or uh, at ease with this particular set of conditions, uh, then it's part of, well, in this moment, the, the laws of nature are functioning like this, and operating through the, this life in this way. And uh, it's a, um, a sense of, of openness and acceptance to how things are functioning, so that uh, whether there's health or sickness, you're okay. Whether there's Praise or criticism, you're okay. Whether there's gain or loss, you're, you're okay. Your your peace or your happiness, your sense of freedom, doesn't depend on a particular set of conditions, or being seen in a particular way, or, or achieving certain results from the things that, that we do. So it's a kind that's independence. That's a genuine kind of independence. You, you're through. Um, that quality of accepting the way that the world functions, but uh, not taking, not grasping, or not taking refuge in the in the world. So, knowing the world, the heart attunes to the world, but it's not identified or limited by the world. And I have one more question, Ajahn. So, so, does that answer the first question you had? Yeah, yeah, you gave it. Yeah, but still, <laughs> it seems to me like whatever I perceive is just offered by the senses, just like a bubble. Mm-hmm. One is here, and then when I, for example, because of my Im- imagination, when I look at the air, um, all these elements arises and passing away, yeah? But actually, I, of course, I do perceive everything as I, because I am very much deluded. And how is it possible that all of us, we do experience like um, differentiation? Of course, I do experience it, but how is this possible that there is no this interconnection? Because of birth, avijja pachaya sankara. <laughs> if we were totally enlightened, we wouldn't have been born. It's because we weren't totally enlightened that we got born. So then, difference, separate, separateness, and the the kind of obviousness of separateness and. And uh, individual existence 
is a is an effect of having been born and the attachment to seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking that comes from from birth. That's the, the seeming of things, the appearance of things. If we were, if we were totally enlightened, we wouldn't have been born. So we we come into this from a place of not seeing things clearly. So then, what is seen, uh, heard, smelt, tasted, touched, and thought, uh, it seems to be absolutely real. And then we seem to be totally independent, separate beings. That's the seeming. But the the practice of of, of dhamma and the, you know, the spiritual the spiritual path. Uh, as it's uh, laid out, particularly by the, in the by the Buddha in the Buddha's teaching, is that recognizing that this set of impressions, the, these these seeming, is only the world of appearances, that uh, and that uh, it really looks that way. <laughs> but you take a simple principle like you know, all dhammas are not self. It's a way of looking at all of that. Uh, or the 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 feelings of I and me and mine that come up during the course of a day, and it's like drilling into that over and over again, and think, well, I say I'm talking or I'm seeing, I'm hearing. What's the I that's that's doing the seeing? What does that look like? The the I that chooses these words is that a is that a person? Is that a monk? Is that a male? Is that a does it have a, a shape or a color or a, where is it? <laughs> And then, as the, we use the powers of investigation, exploring, then those bubbles of self-creation get get burst, and then slowly but surely, that um, the way that that things seem, like like the uh, the assumptions that we make, like everyone thinks like me as a sort of middle-class English person, that uh, those. So no, it's not the case. It's just a set of conditioning. That's not an absolute reality. It's just like a, a, a pattern of perception, and that uh, it was a, it was an appearance. It was a seeming. There was there was no permanent, separate, independent I there. From analytical way, it's understandable, yeah. But to truly feel it or experience it. That's why we practice. <laughs> I think that's why we're all here. You know? so, uh, that's why we practice is because there's a we get a group of human beings gathered together in this little place in Hertfordshire and spend our, our days looking at our minds because there's a recognition of I don't think this is totally real. <laughs> there's something beyond this. There's something that's that's more significant or more um, more fundamental. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's 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 true, and all these other people around me—they also seem to think that's that's the case. So, uh, if we if we all work on this together, we support each each other in this. Then, then as the the practice develops, and there's more and more that those moments of like, oh, this is the 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 reality that underlies that that set of perceptions in those those. Uh, Moments of 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 self relinquishment, seeing the empty nature of of uh, the the appearances of independent existence. So that's why we practice, and then the result of that is 
those qualities are, are peacefulness and simplicity and, uh, and liberation. I think that's a good point to end on for today. Good enough? Sadhu Karangadama Sadhu Karangadama Sadhu